Here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. I'm joined by Dr. John Gallucci, which I just found out this morning is the boss of my friend Ryan Stevens, fellow podcaster, athletic trainer. And so we got that extra little connection. You know, I was thinking, like looking through the the bio and, you know, he's up there in the New Jersey area and I saw Barnabas Health and I knew Ryan worked for it and it just something to tell. It was, it was God telling me, hey, just, just text Ryan real quick. And so I did and there we go. Ryan Stevens works for and runs the athletic department, athletic training department for JAG One Physical Therapy there with Dr. John Galucci. So welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, Ryan is awesome, but we, nobody works for anybody. He, I am not his boss. He is my colleague. We work collaboratively to offer unbelievable athletic training services in the, the New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania area. So Ryan's awesome. He's doing a great job. He's a great team leader and uh, excited that you two guys have that connection. Yes, sir. So today we're going to be talking about um, some one of the books you've written about five things you're doing wrong. So this one is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash five things. And again, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash five things where I have links and some of the things we're talking about. And again, I want to focus on things that are athletic trainers may be doing wrong at work to cause themselves injury. Right. But before we get to those five things that athletic trainers are doing wrong, I want to hear your athletic trainer story. When did you decide to become an athletic trainer? When did you first uh, have an interaction with an athletic trainer? So, so great question. So uh, at a very young age, I was a uh, wrestler, baseball player, pre high school and high school. And I was fortunate enough that my high school had a relationship with a physical therapy company that employed an athletic trainer that used to come to our high school and work with the with with the athletes and that was my first introduction to the athletic training profession my family owned the surgical supply business in new york and uh, i had known the physical therapy profession but really didn't know the athletic training profession so i'd probably say at a young age of 14 years old was my first introduction and then over my four years of high school and then a little bit of collegiate sports i had some great interactions with athletic trainers through the, through the different levels and tournaments that I was going to and, and, and thought it was an awesome profession where you could sort of combine that sports medicine injury component and the rehab component. But what I really loved about it was the, uh, the onset of injury component, being there right there, being able to be part of the evaluative process. And I was very excited about that. And that's one of the reasons why I I moved forward and I'm very fortunate that I went on for my education and I'm dual licensed and dual credentialed. I'm a certified athletic trainer and I'm also a licensed physical therapist. Yes, sir. Do you happen to know the name of that first athletic trainer that worked for the physical therapy clinic? You know, uh, I just had a conversation about it. He was at Wagner College and he was helping out. It'll come to me. I just was having a conversation about him a couple of weeks ago. He was the Wagner College head athletic trainer that was working for a local physical therapy company. It'll come. All right. So if in the middle of the podcast, you hear him shout out a guy's name, then that's what it is. Okay. All right. So athletic trainers, you know, uh, there's a big movement towards manual therapy. Uh, Obviously, you know, we're carrying coolers moving stuff or, or lifting players that may be, you know, 100, 200 pounds heavier than us. So what, are some of the things that athletic trainers are doing wrong on a day-to-day basis that we can 
change, adjust slightly to help prevent injury and again, provide self-care so that we can better take care of the other people? So I think in your question is the answer. It's providing self-care. We we teach each and every day how to prevent injuries. We understand biomechanics. We understand how the body works. We're working with athletes each and every day or, or anybody that's active each and every day. And we're teaching them how to prevent injuries and stay healthy. But we, we're, we're givers. The athletic training profession are a bunch of people that are, are giving. And, and we always forget about ourselves. And ultimately, what you see is people that are in such a rush to help sometimes forget to help themselves. So it's it's important proper biomechanics. And, you know, one of the biggest things that we used to do at Columbia University when I was under the uh, guide of Jim Gossett, who's our head athletic trainer, legendary athletic trainer at Columbia University, we used to do lifting drills as, as a team. And, uh, you know, if you were on a football field, covering a game or you're on a basketball court covering a game, we always made sure that there was appropriate body mechanics to help somebody up and off the court or have to transport into a, into an emergency vehicle. And I think it's important that we do practice lifting techniques. I think it's very important. I think the other thing that we forget to do because we have such long hours is appropriate nutrition and hydration. Uh, we're, we're yelling all the time at athletes on a field on a hot day, hydrate, 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 but sometimes we forget to hydrate and all of a sudden we're dealing with a soft tissue injury because of cramping and dehydration. So I think that's a very important thing, we as athletic trainers. But the most important thing is we're givers, but every now and then we have to take care of ourselves and take our own advice. All right. So self-care, you said, is probably the number one of the top ways that athletic trainers can again, take care, prevent injury. Um and I, I agree, you know, I definitely like even just this morning before we topped on the podcast, I was using the foam roller because I was lifting weights yesterday, right? And so my legs are sore, so I'm using the foam roller, I'm I'm lifting weights, I'm exercising, getting good sleep and hydrating, things like that. <clears throat> so what are the thing, other things that you might see in either the physical therapy clinic or in the athletic training clinic or on the field that athletic trainers can do to help prevent injury or take care of themselves? So again, you know, the most important thing is, is again, we work a tremendous amount of hours. One of the things that we never do is get enough sleep. Uh, so, so sleep deprivation definitely, as we know, causes soft tissue injuries and cramping. And we've got to, we've got to be careful of that. Another thing an athletic trainer has to, has to do is, is, is make sure again, understanding when they're doing anything with their body mechanics. You know, we talked about lifting techniques, but one of the most important thing is, is in most training rooms, there's always the high shelves that we're putting uh, coolers on top of. And, and so many of our colleagues have, have either torn a shoulder labrum or a rotator cuff by lifting or swinging the cooler up there. You know, to take two minutes and get the step stool and lift appropriately will definitely decrease the risk of those shoulder injuries. Um, you know, right now, it's amazing how technology has evolved. You can walk into a Home Depot right now pick up a two or three step ladder that maybe weighs 10 pounds based on being made of aluminum. And maybe it costs a total of 12 to $15. And, and that could possibly save the risk of putting a cooler or putting athletic training bags or putting stuff above in a shelf because our athletic training rooms sometimes are small and give us the opportunity. And most of these ladders are foldable so they can be hidden away. So 
So I think it's important that people watch their shoulder injuries by 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 poor lifting techniques and 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 advise them to definitely take a minute, step back and and utilize a, a stool uh, or work collaboratively with a colleague if you can. But as we know, many of our high schools uh, throughout the country only have one athletic trainer, um, so so it becomes difficult to work with a colleague. So I really like that latter idea. I mean, just in the last year. We've, I've had three athletic training colleagues that have torn their rotator cuffs all from lifting or swinging their bag or or stocking shelves. So. All right, so you talked about practicing lifting techniques on the court, um, just say like basketball. So kind of just talk through what does that look like? How could I run that with here with my high school students or with my coworkers? Well, again, it's buddy lifts, which we've all learned, and it's it's really making sure that there's someone identified on each team that you're covering, especially if you're a, a single operator athletic trainer, to make sure, let it be a coach or let it be one or two of the athletes or let it be a volunteer um, or somebody that's trained in first aid and CPR that you may have taught. It's always important that any game you definitely have some sort of assistance if you have to lift. Also, many athletic trainers through the country have utilized EMTs as a resource to help them in lifting their athletes. Let's face it, it's an emergency situation. The EMTs are going to be called and they're always going to be there to help. And many of their uh, devices, uh, let it be a stretcher or a chair, are ergonomically functional and made so we don't hurt ourselves in transport. I also think that's interesting to look at. I mean, many of our athletic training rooms may have uh, devices. It could be a folding stretcher. It could be a, a backboard that might have been made 15, 20, 25 years ago. Again, with the technology and evolution of metals and the lightness of metals, we may want to start to update all of those things to lighter metals and, and, and be able to, to put less of a wear and tear on ourselves. You know, whenever I first started working here at Pasadena, which is going on like 17 years, there was a like a scoop stretcher, like a metal, uh, one of those like opens up like jaws and clamps underneath. And then there was also a like a wheelchair that had like long handles, um, almost like a wheelbarrow that you'd put the kids in, you know, and we've gotten rid of those. because like, well, this thing is just big and taking up space and, you know, we're never going to use it, that kind of thing. But here it is. Maybe I should have just kept those things around and, you know, well, here, now this makes it a little bit easier to get that kid off the court so we don't have to drive, you know, the golf cart onto the, onto the field and, you know, that kind of thing. So. And a lot of those have been reformatted with the lighter metals and they're, they're easier for us to a navigate them and they're easier for us to lift them and move them. All right. So maybe moving into the clinic, maybe into the, the manual therapy area. You talked about biomechanics. What are some of the things that you see athletic trainers uh, dealing with complaining of injury from? So we have a tremendous amount of, of good hands-on functional physical therapists and athletic trainers that work for us here at JAG1 Physical Therapy. And one of the biggest things that always amazes me is, is the simplicity of doing PNF patterns with a patient and, and truly adding the the, the pressures and trying to navigate through the pattern. And what you'll find is a lot of people not utilizing their legs and their body and their rotation and, and truly working in the biomechanical chain that we're trying to teach our patients. So I think it's important 
that we truly understand the height of the table, the height of the patient, what mechanics you're trying to do, what are you trying to get out of it, but also make sure you're putting yourself in a de-risk situation that you're not going to hurt yourself. The other thing we have to realize too is, is the multiplicity of patients in a day. You know, healthcare in, in, in has evolved throughout the country that outpatient physical therapy is the preferred physical therapy of choice. It used to be years ago, institutional care at hospitals, but now it's become individual clinics out in the outpatient world. And what you see is people carrying patient loads of 12 to 13 patients a day throughout an eight, eight hour day. And ultimately what happens is you have to sit there and say to yourself on your manual techniques, are you appropriately stretching? Are you ready for your day? Are you warmed up and 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 ready to go? And again, it's something about self-care and taking care of yourself. I remember when you know when I was day to day with Red Bull as their head athletic trainer, I would I would get to the the stadium probably about an hour before any of the athletes did, and part of my regimen was to go for a 15, 20 minute jog stretch and really make sure I was ready for the demands of my day. I think it's important that uh, we do that. I had a great experience at Red Bull. I now uh, work with Dr. Margo Patukian overseeing the medical care of Major League Soccer athletes through our 29 teams and our MLS Next Pro and our athletic trainers each and every day are, are, are working hard to keep our athletes healthy. And it's been a unique experience because you hear it from across the country. Uh, people truly trying to take care of themselves to be able to take care of to take care of their athletes and their team. So I think it's important that people have to do again self care, and one of those self cares are: Are you ready for the demands of your day? Just as we're expecting the athletes or active people to be ready for the demands of their sport or work day. Let's look at athletic trainers that work in a space of 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 commercial ware, warehousing or or work in a manual labor situation. I mean, we have athletic trainers working in all those different settings at UPS, at Amazon, at, at FedEx. And ultimately, each and every day, they are teaching the workers how to prepare for their day and how to be ready for what they're supposed to be able to handle. Well, we have to be ready for our day. And, and, a, and a little bit of a warm-up, a little bit of flexibility, and making sure we're prepared for the demands of our job are just as important as us making sure that as an NFL football player is ready for the demands of his job or a or a woman soccer player is ready for her demands of her job and, and, and going back to that FedEx or UPS employer being ready for the demands of their job. We, as athletic trainers, have to not only be teaching, we have to be doing ourselves. And and again, it's, it becomes difficult because of time. It becomes difficult because of family responsibilities. But we have to take the time for us. And I think the biggest way that I learned that lesson was probably about 15 years ago when I found myself feeling unhealthy, feeling like I, I, I can't help somebody else. And I was putting people in danger because I was not fit enough to get across the field and possibly have to do CPR. I was not fit enough to maybe help the EMTs get somebody in emergency situation. I wasn't fit enough to run the 100 yards to go get the AED that was in the corner of a field. And I felt it was important to me and the safety of the athletes that I was taking care of to start taking care of me. And I've had a resume now for the last 15 years 
that I'm up at six o'clock in the morning every day and I make sure I'm doing 30 to 45 minutes of activity, let it be aerobic or strength. And I feel better for it. I'm healthier for it, but most important, I'm better for my patients. Um, and, and you know that all healthcare professionals know that, but sometimes we forget it. For sure. Like I mentioned earlier, I was using the foam roller, you know, the weight room. And I, I think that's one of the things that's important for us because then obviously it's taking care of our health but then also our students our patients they see that like they you know i'm i don't i don't mean to like sound funny but i'm I'm muscular and so the, the students see like oh jackson you're swole that kind of thing is like yeah i go over to the weight room and they're like oh you go to the weight room yeah yeah I'm, I'm doing the things that i'm asking you to do i'm doing the things that i'm you know just saying hey this is going to help you and so i i feel that it is important it's an important part of um being a good example. So <clears throat> I love that. Tell me a little bit more about your time with the, with the Red Bulls. I know you're the coordinator for 500 athletes with the MLS. And, you know, like you said, your time with the Red Bulls. Um, I really enjoy watching soccer. So tell me a little bit more about that time. Sure. So I was very fortunate in 98, 99 to be introduced to, at the time, Major League Soccer's Metro Stars here in New Jersey. Uh, an athletic training colleague of mine became the head athletic trainer, Stuart Schwerner. Uh, Stu is an unbelievable colleague and athletic trainer. He actually works uh, at Jag One Physical Therapy alongside me, overseeing our workman's comp programs that we have throughout the three states. But Stuart at the time uh, had taken the position as head athletic trainer. And very early on, he had a few athletes tear their ACLs and needed surgery. Um, and he, at the time, uh, and the league was in its infancy, he was a one-man band. So he asked his friend and colleague to kind of come and help him do some rehab. So early uh, in late in the 98 season and early in the 99 season, I was helping him with some of those rehabs. And then I became his uh, associate head athletic trainer over time. Stu then moved on and I became the head athletic trainer. And then I became the player care coordinator over the years uh, that I was there. I was there in total for seven years. Um, and then I started JAG Physical Therapy, the legacy company of JAG One Physical Therapy. Uh, and when I was starting and I was leaving the pro ranks and I had an opportunity to work with Mike Saunders and the New York Knicks through the summer programs that they used to run. And I had an opportunity to do the New York Rangers strength and conditioning uh, camps through uh, another great colleague of mine, Rich Giordano, who was the New York Rangers physical therapist for more than 15 years. So I had the opportunity to work in those three different levels of professional sports. And the last 18 years, I've assisted the New Jersey Devils with their surgical rehabs and helped them identify athletic training candidates and physical therapy candidates. So I've had the opportunity to work with colleagues across the country. My role at Major League Soccer has evolved. When I first came out of Red Bull, I was a consultant that was uh, known as the medical coordinator, assisting the executives in setting up policies and procedures to mitigate risk and liability throughout the league as we were developing processes through the league as a single entity uh, structure. Ultimately, uh, we have grown that tremendously. We've got a great team of people in the MLS office now under the charge of our chief medical officer, Dr. Margot Petuki, and my roles evolved where I am the direct assistant to the chief medical officer of Dr. Petuki, and now working collaboratively with her and our team of professionals throughout the country to take care of the welfare and health of now it's over 
a thousand athletes at the pro level uh, and and semi pro level based on our MLX Next Pro campaign. And I've been very fortunate to see the league evolve. When I joined the league, there was ten teams. We went to twelve teams. We retracted to ten teams. Now we're twenty nine teams and probably going to thirty one to thirty two teams. Our commissioners, all three of them, our our main commissioner Don Garber, has has stayed fast to his mission of of growing the sport of soccer in the United States of America and building the fan base. And he has done an awesome job with, with, with his uh, two uh, assistant commissioners, uh, Mark Abbott and Gary Stevenson. And the three of them have built American soccer to what it is today at the professional level and the youth level. And they've done an awesome job in getting America to accept uh, soccer is an unbelievable sport, and you see that based on the fan base. So it's a privilege that I've been able to be around the league. Now I'm going I'm going to be going into my 25th season, if you count my years with uh, with the Metro Stars Red Bull and, and now with Major League Soccer. So I'm excited of it. Maybe I'll have an MLS 25-year pin. You never know. But very, very excited that I've been able to work in one league for, for close to 25 years. 2024 will be 25 years. So I'm excited about that, but I'm also excited to see what's next. I mean, it's amazing how our fan base has risen. It's amazing how the quality of our athletes, the performance of our athletes, as we've seen in the last World Cup, um, seeing our U.S. men's team evolve and grow has been awesome. Seeing the women's side grow has been awesome. Seeing the women's league grow has been has been awesome. Soccer is here to stay in America. I mean, uh, uh, and it's and it's a sport that will continue to evolve. It's unbelievably played at the at the youth level, and I'm excited that I was part of that. I'm actually involved in the second national concussion summit that'll be held in Chicago in May. Very very excited. I was the chair of the first concussion summit that Major League Soccer and U.S. Soccer put on several years ago in 2017. And now we have a second summit that's coming up that we're excited about in May. And we have concussion specialists from around the world coming to give their their expert opinion. And it's a two-day event being held in, in, in May. And I'm excited about that. And if people want to find out more information on that, they can email me at info at jag1pt.com. That's I-N-F-O at J-A-G-O-N-E-P-T.com. And they can find out more information. It's a very inexpensive educational opportunity where the world leaders of concussion and sport are coming together. So very, very exciting. I've been involved in different programs throughout the country, evolving programs to decrease injuries based on, let it be exercises, hydration. Here, friends of mine in Major League Soccer came up with the Santa Monica PEP program, which we've all utilized in ACL prevention. Dr. Burt Mendelbaum out of the LA Galaxy and U.S. Soccer was the impetus for something that's prevented thousands of ACLs in our country. So me being part of that, uh, I guess you would say, medical soccer family in the United States has been awesome. I've been around the world in different countries dealing with co colleagues and medical specialties from around the world at some of the top leagues, let it be rugby, rugby let it be soccer, let it be lacrosse. I mean, I've had an opportunity to speak at conventions and conferences all over, and it's all because of my entry into the world of soccer. 
So I'm I'm very, very blessed to have been part of the path and the growth and excited that I'm still here. Fantastic. I know that you're talking about the concussion summit with soccer. That's been an interesting change because in professional soccer, if you get subbed out, you can't go back in. Well, you need you need to have that five minutes or whatever to evaluate a concussion. And so they've kind of adjusted the rules to allow for the the change in you know our understanding of concussions. Uh, and that that's really cool to know that you were part of the the lead on that change. Well, we have an unbelievable uh, concussion consultant with us that is unbelievable. His name is Ruben Echimendia, uh, and Ruben is awesome. Um, and he's been a consultant with the league on concussions and concussion protocol, working hand in hand with Dr. Margo Patukin in developing our protocols. So we are very lucky to have him alongside us each and every day, building our protocols and working collaboratively. All right, so let's go back to our list of five things. So we talked about self-care, and, and in that we talked about exercise, nutrition, we talked about using, getting enough sleep, um, using the proper techniques when we're doing like PNF patterns. So making sure you're um, using your legs and you're bracing your core and you're doing the things you're asking to do. What else do you think are some of the things that athletic trainers do on a daily basis that are causing injury or or harm to themselves? I think stress causes harm. And I, I think people don't do enough of trying to decompress their stress. I mean, think about the think about your responsibility each and every day at, at the level that you're working. And, and think about your responsibility for these athletes each and every day. And the communication chains between the between the medical professionals between the parents, between the coaches. Think about your responsibility of possibly having to run out on the field and do CPR. Think about your responsibility to make sure that the emergency action plan is not only written, but can be implemented. Think about every day at Pasadena High School where you work, your responsibilities and what you have to do every day. And sometimes every now and then we don't take a deep breath. And if you think at every level of athletics, the pressures only get more and more college level people that are on scholarship. Now, all of a sudden there's a financial component of it. Then you jump to the professional level and people are not only paying their bills by competing. They're also paying their bills based on bonuses and trying to get places. But we as clinicians have to stick to our morals and have to make tough decisions for the health and safety and welfare of the athletes. And I think it's very, very important that we start to work to decrease our own stresses. And sometimes that could be just getting it off your chest and talking to a colleague. Sometimes it could be talking to a, to, to a professional, um, a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, just to have someone vent and throw ideas and pressures that you're feeling. Sometimes it could be just being able to go home and speak to your spouse. You know, there's a lot to be said when you, when you go home and you say you don't want to bring work home. But if you're internalizing it and you're letting it get to you, isn't it better to get it out and have somebody else's perspective? And what's unique about the perspective is a lot of people don't know the pressures of an athletic training. And, and being able to share why you're on so much pressure to get a different perspective from your spouse or your significant other isn't always a bad idea. And if you're going to internalize, it's only going to build more stress. And then all of a sudden, you're going to see a bunch of athletic trainers with high blood pressure. 
Uh, so, so I think it's important. I think that would probably be the, the final thing that you and I, as far as we're looking at these five steps, it's very important to decrease our overall uh, stress and, and encourage mental health and, and, and make sure we're strong and ready to go. So that's a really good point about talking with your wife or your spouse. Um, so me, I'm married. My wife stays at home with our kids. We have five kids. And it's not only about me telling her about my day, but I also need to allow her to do that because there's a lot of times where her day is harder. And so I need to give her that opportunity to decompress and stress. And then that improves our relationship and allows me to do that as well. Because if she's really stressed, then like having the whole house is kind of kind of stressed and Again, it comes with, you know, getting good sleep, getting good nutrition, setting that regular routine. Maybe it is getting up early or, you know, whatever, that kind of thing to exercise so that I'm ready to listen to her for 10 minutes before I go to work or, you know, 20 minutes when I get home. I'm not disappearing to the gym or something like that. Um, Dr. Galushi, what do you feel like is your favorite way to decompress or de-stress after a hard day at work? I love to get on a bike, 20, 30 minutes on the bike just decompress. And then, you know, I'm very fortunate. I'm with my wife for 38 years. We're married for 32 years and just sitting back on the couch and just having a conversation about both our days and kind of re-going through the day with my spouse and, and having the opportunity to to hear her view and also give my view on, on her day and 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 the pressures and kind of dealing with it together as a as a team. Um, and again, it, it doesn't have to be your spouse. It could be your significant other. It could be your best friend. But being able to have someone to be able to share your your thoughts, your ideas, your concepts, the way you handle the situation. I mean, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, I've been in three situations throughout my career that I've I've had to give CPR. Um, and one time, unfortunately, the individual didn't make it. Um, and and I'm a guy that's taught CPR for, for 30 years to numerous coaches and numerous parents for years. And ultimately, I've done CPR on individuals and uh, luckily, two survived and have lived uh, great lives. And one passed away. And, and ultimately, you know, it took me a, a good couple of months to just keep recounting my steps of what I did in that process. What could I have done better? And if it wasn't for me to be able to go home and, and be able to talk that out and walk through it and then say to yourself, you did everything possible to save this individual based on your education, based on your fortitude, that at the end of the day, it kind of it kind of helps you get through it. So and I think as we're seeing this year with the situation in Buffalo, there are people that do not appreciate our skill set as athletic trainers. There are people that don't understand we save lives every day. You know, that is a great situation to sensationalize the athletic training profession and how we do save lives. But ultimately, we've known that since we went for our education. We've known that every day we walk on the field with an emergency action plan. We've known that when we're checking the batteries for the AED, when we're making sure there's space and clearances for EMTs to arrive, we're always trying to be better take care of people. And that's who we are. We're people taking care of people. And it's very, very important that we continue that fortitude as athletic trainers and we need to work together. 
So again, going back to Ryan Stevens, you haven't happened to remember that very first athletic trainer. I think you said Wagner. It, his name is John, and I'm struggling with his last name. But right. his name is his first name was John. All right, so John. You would think I wouldn't forget that since I'm John, but right, you know. But I mean, you know, listening to your story, you met a lot of people, a lot of different places and countries, and you know, a lot of different athletes. So it, it's it's understandable you forget some names. So I know Ryan uh, has talked quite a bit about being team leader and leadership and things like that. So what do you, you feel like some of the one or two important things before we have to sign off here about being a team leader there for athletic trainers? Communication is key. Everybody has to communicate. If we're internalizing and we're not communicating what's really going on, let it be a policy or a process that you have at your school or your institution there needs to be a communication chain. Um, just as we want to communicate with our chief medical officers, parents, athletic directors, we have to make sure we're part of the voice when there's building of process and policy. And a lot of times, uh, certified athletic trainers look to be guided on process. We should be at the foundation. We should be writing the process and we should be giving our input on the process. And we will help mitigate risk and we will help the health and safety of of active individuals throughout our country so communication is key in leadership the other thing that's key in leadership which is most people always forget is reflection reflect how you've behaved reflect how you've learned reflect how you've handled a situation reflect on how your actions rolled into other actions and sometimes we have a difficult time in looking in the mirror. It's very important to take a self-reflective component and look in the mirror. And the best leaders are always the ones that are willing to say they made a mistake and learn from the mistake. Uh, there's not a day that goes by that we don't, we're human, we make mistakes. But are you willing to admit that you made the mistake? And are you willing to fix it and learn from it? And I think that's one thing that we see great leaders do each and every day. It's okay to navigate and change your view. It's okay to change your opinion. It's okay to change your response. But are you willing to learn why you made the mistake? And that's what's going to make you a better professional. And it's going to make you a stronger leader. Positively impacting the world around you is one of my missions there. So Dr. John Galushi, you said that if someone wants to reach out to you, specifically you mentioned the, the concussion summit thing coming up. You said info at jag1pt.com. Correct. That's I-N-F-O at J-A-G-O-N-E-P-T.com. And then if you Google search Jag1PT, it, it'll find it. If you search on Twitter, on Instagram, you'll find Jag1PT. So you can connect with them any one of those ways. But if you want specific information, reaching out there, you feel like uh, that's going to be the best way to get a hold of you specifically is through that email address? Correct. All right. And then, of course, I am Jeremy Jackson. I'm on social media. Mr. Jeremy Jackson, you can reach out to me anyway that way. And if you happen to know what John from Wagner College University, what his last name was, then shout that out to us there. Let us know. And then that way we can give him just a, a high five for setting Dr. John Galucci on the, the path of being a positive impact in his life. I partner with MedBridge. So John Nostrom, N-O-S-T-R-O. See, there you go. I get it before the end. There you go. John <laughs> Nostrom. He was at Wagner and the College of Staten Island. Finished his career at the College of Staten Island. John Nostrom. Thank you, sir. Very good. Took me a little time. 
<laughs> so I partner with MedBridge, so you can use the code DSMB if you're going to use MedBridge. It gets you a, a discount. Uh, it's about the same discount as you get from any of the other people providing a discount code. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash five things for Jeremy, Dr. John Glucci, and the Sports Medicine Broadcast. That is a wrap. Thanks.